0: You're listening to to the Show We Go Baseball podcast.
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome into episode 56 of To The Show We Go. We have Ed Hand and myself, Andrew Parker. Um, Today's episode, it is a one of the newest members of the Red Sox organization. It is the Justin Slayton episode. Now, if you don't know Justin, he uh, just came over actually in a trade on rule five day, which was quite interesting. Um, And I'm definitely gonna ask you about that um, as we get into the show. But uh, you came over you were with the Rangers got selected by the Mets and then traded to the Red Sox so uh, quite a three different hats in one day so mm-hmm. um, I am going to ask you about that a little bit later but uh, before we kind of jump in and I know Ed's got a lot a lot of stuff he wants to ask as well but I do want to get started you just were at Fenway Park for rookie development uh, you were also at winter weekend for uh, out in Springfield seeing a lot of the fans and all the teammates that you're gonna have so want to start it off like uh i guess how was fenway park and getting around some of the the younger guys and then how was winter weekend in springfield
0: yeah so it it was great i uh got up there for the first time was actually able to meet some some uh now new teammates and so just to kind of be around the atmosphere of like, all right, like we've got some stuff going on. It's, you know, we're getting to meet people we're working out, we're doing, you know, community outings. It was, it was a really good opportunity. I feel like not just for myself, but like everyone there, just to kind of get familiarized. You know, I was not the only one who was new to the organization that had been there. I was with Richard Fitz and Isaiah Campbell and, uh, so just to kind of be able to meet them and then kind of see just like what the red sox were about and kind of start feeling it out get to meet you know some people in the front office some people in the big league staff the minor league staff it was honestly just like an incredible experience and then obviously like throwing on top that we're getting to do a lot of it at fenway
1: um it was really cool and then i do want to ask as well i know we talked a little bit off air It took you, you know, you were at Fenway for the week and then it took you right into uh, Springfield and winter weekend. Um, What was that like, I guess, just being around, you know, Red Sox fans for the first time and getting to know more of your teammates as well?
0: Uh, Like I said, yeah, I mean, going off the week, it was nice. We were able to like just kind of roll right into that. Um, getting there the first night and like walking out, you know, in front of all of the fans, getting your name called out, it was a, a pretty cool moment just to kind of get to stand up there, even though it was brief. Um, it was really cool just to kind of like, you know, see a little bit of the, the support system that's there and, and, you know, couldn't have been more thankful for the people that showed up and spent their time to come and support us. And then going back to the, to the hotel, it was really cool to just see like the people that were there, like when we would be kind of walking through and being new, I didn't, I, you know, luckily I didn't have to get as stopped as, uh, as much as some other people surely did. But even the few fans that did kind of recognize me and knew who I were to, to come up to me and ask for autographs and just kind of, you know, take their time to be there. It was, it was awesome. I mean, I couldn't have been, You know more happy to be there couldn't be more happy to be a part of the organization and this is my first time doing something like that and so to be able to spend the week with the minor league guys in the front office and then. It was pretty much all work really long days and then we get to go to the weekend and and then have some fun with each other it was it was really cool.
2: How have you found the Red Sox organization differs from the Rangers organization so far.
0: Good question. I, I, it's still really early for me, but I, I would say like, just right off of the, the rip, it was just, it seems like it is an organization that that carries a ton of pride. It's It's been pretty evident just hearing to the people talk about how they expect to win and, and, you know, all of the things that kind of go into that. It's, it's been, uh, it's been nice. I mean, like it's, it's really cool coming to a city where it's like sports just in general are very, um, I would say, like, it's almost like it's put on a pedestal. Winning is put on a pedestal, and in a city that expects a lot from their teams—not saying that that Texas didn't—but when you just look at Boston as a whole, you got the Bruins, the Patriots, the Celtics, and the Red Sox—all teams who, like, historically have had a ton of success. I would say that that's something different coming to a city where it's like every sport that's involved, the entire city is behind them, and just like really being able to feel that just kind of throughout the week there, everywhere we went, you know, it's something with Boston sports teams, every restaurant, every, you know, store that we went into all of the places that we went to. It was just, it was honestly like really, really cool. And to just be like, going from Texas, like my home state, whereas like Arlington is not like a real big city. It's obviously like in the, in the Metroplex. And then you go to a place like Boston where it's like, it feels really, really big. And then it's like, you're just right there. And, and you can just tell that it, it just, it's special. And it means like a little bit more to the city.
1: Now y- you just came from an organization that came off a world series win in its own. Um, mm-hmm. wh- I, I know, obviously you, you weren't, you know, you didn't play in the majors this past year, but what was it like playing in an organization that was making that run? It honestly was
0: super cool. I mean, and it was something like being a part of uh, like the spring training talks. I wasn't in major league spring training, but even in the minor league spring training, just hearing the uh, the way that people talked about it with with Bruce Bochy coming in and, and getting his staff, the, the way that they kind of talked about it was it always seemed like for them it was, in, in a sense, it was like it's World Series or, or bust. And not like they're putting the pressure on us, like we have to go win the World Series. It almost just seemed it was like – That's what they expected. And so as the year got going, obviously, like you have DeGrom coming in and there's huge expectations. And then he suffers truly like a really unfortunate injury. And then you kind of lose some guys along the way and then other guys pick up. And it was like all throughout the year, like I got to play with uh, Grant Anderson this year who made his debut out of the bullpen, one of my really good friends. Evan Carter gets pulled up from double A spends like a week and a half in triple A two weeks in triple A and then goes on and is on the world series roster. It was like getting to see these people that you've played with now for the past couple of years, get called up in the middle of the season and contribute down the stretch. And then like that, that's something that's just like, it makes you proud because it's like, man, like you're watching the TV and it's like, man, I, I get to play with this guy. Like I know this guy really well. And it's like, you see, all the people that are behind the team at this point it was something that was like pretty surreal in the moment and it was just kind of like going into the the first round of the playoffs it's like man we got to go to tampa bay and it's like boom they, they they win a couple there and they go to uh baltimore take care of business there and now it's like i was in arizona at the time for the fall league and it's like we're watching them play the astros and then honestly we were like praying we were like oh my gosh like we really hope that the diamondbacks win so that way we they get to come to arizona and maybe we can go to a game and so the whole entire run they were making it was like we we would have guys in arizona we'd come over to the house we were staying at we'd cook dinner and watch all of the games and it was just like man you could feel it like we, even just like you know the six or seven minor leaguers that we had watching there it was like just so exciting and then fortunately they do come to arizona we were able to get tickets like right off the rip. They were like, we should get tickets. What game do we want to go to? And I was like, I say we go to game five and they were like game five. And I was like, yeah, that, that that seems like the one I was like, it's going to be the last game in Arizona. I was like, they probably won't sweep. I was like, but I was like, I feel like it will be the last game in Arizona. And I think that, you know, it could be to where it works out for them in five. So we ended up getting the tickets where we were going to get tickets. And then, uh, we ended up having to pay, like, a ton of money for him. And so we're like, gosh, <laughs> I really don't – like, it's all right. We'll just watch it at the house. I don't really want to you know, shell out $1,000 on these seats. And then all of a sudden, like, we had a, the same guy, Grant Anderson guy. He texted uh, me and one of my friends, and he was like, y'all aren't missing this game. Like, I'm buying the tickets for y'all. So, like, come on. So we were like, no way. He buys the tickets for us. Game five, we show up, get to watch them win the World Series. And it was like a very – as a fan growing up, watching the rangers play like in 2011 2010 it was like every single pitch like you're like living and dying with watching it on the tv and it was like being there at the game it almost felt surreal where it was like when they won i don't think any of any of the guys in the section i don't even think we like cheered or said anything we just kind of like looked at each other with like huge smiles on our face and we're just like hugging and we're like almost having like our own little celebration because it just felt like, just like a almost like an out of body experience getting to watch all of these guys that I played with run out onto the field. It was, it was incredible.
2: So you grew up a Rangers fan.
0: I grew up in East Texas and I grew up going to Rangers games. My entire family that cares about baseball were always Astros fans. But for me, it was, it was a kind of a weird situation where like I lived closer to Dallas So we would always go to the Rangers games. So like de facto, I rooted for the Rangers because we would always go to those games. And I also rooted for the Astros, which I don't think a lot of Astros or Rangers fans would really want to hear that.
2: Yeah. It's like the Yankees and Mets fan.
0: Yeah, exactly. It was like, but for me, it was just, I was young and I didn't know any better. And honestly, as I started getting like older and getting into high school, I kind of started rooting for the Astros way more than I started rooting for the Rangers. And it was more of it was just because, like, they were young, they were an exciting team, and they weren't really good at the time. And obviously, like, my family really rooted for them. And so I would say I grew up a little bit more of an Astros fans, but I definitely did, like, pull for the Rangers heavily whenever I was a a kid as well.
2: So how is that for you, then, as a local kid who grew up watching the team getting drafted out of the third round by the Rangers? Hmm. Yeah, it was a, a surreal moment because to to be quite
0: honest with you, I really never expected that I was going to get picked by the Rangers. It's like you go into the draft, for the most part, um, you kind of have a, a sense of who likes you and kind of where they like you. And so for me, I kind of had it narrowed down. I was like, man, if I if I had to put if I had to put my money on it, like I w- I was going to go to you know like probably it was like three or four teams where I was like dead set. I'm like, I'm going to one of these these teams and uh whenever i got the call and they said that i was going to the rangers i honestly was like really shocked because i had only talked to uh one person from the rangers and it was like a very brief talk it wasn't even like a like a sit down have like this long drawn out conversation fill out these questionnaires i had talked with with the scout an area scout while i was at school in new mexico and that was it there were no text messages no phone calls after that and then uh like obviously like the when the day of the second round when the second round ended, uh, I I started fielding phone calls like right after that. It's like, hey, we're about to get ready to go into day three or day two tomorrow. And I started getting phone calls from other teams and it was just like boom. So now it's like the list of that three or four opened up to like, you know, nine or ten right there. And none of them were the Rangers. And so it was like when my when my agent called me the first, he was like, Hey, I'll never forget, he called me and he was like, do you want to be a, a Cardinal? Do you want to be a Cardinal or do you want to play for the Rockies? And I was like thinking about it. And before I could even give an answer, he was like, hold on, I'm getting another phone call. Hangs up, calls me back. Like a minute later, I answer it and he was like, you're going to the Rangers. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and so it was like really quick. And, and it was like I'm sitting there, like I get the phone call. I'm sitting there with my family watching it, and then it pops up you know, I I believe it was the Cincinnati Reds were picking at the time, and the Rangers were next, and I just had, like, the biggest smile on my face, and my family's sitting there, and they're like, this is it, and, like, the Reds make their pick, and it wasn't me, and they were like, what the heck, and I'm like, (laughs) and then all of a sudden, they see the Rangers, and I just remember my mom being like, shut up, shut up, and I was, and I'm just, like, smiling, they say my name, and so it was, like, they were all screaming, because they were like, no way, like, you're going to Texas, you get to stay home, and uh, it was it was a very surreal
2: moment for me. As Astros so, fans, how did they feel about the Rangers?
0: I I immediately my granddad texted me and he was just like I don't want to do this but I'm gonna have to root for the Rangers and I was like er, I, and I think he even said something along the lines of he was like I will only he was like I will root for you guys when you play the Astros but every other time. I'm still going to be an Astros fan. And I was like, that's fine. That's fine. You can do what you want. I mean, obviously, he was obviously joking, but they still are big Astros fans. I mean, even, like, in the offseason, uh, I get to go and spend time with him. I'm really close to my grandparents. And so we we got to watch the most recent Astros World Series together. And that was just, like, a cool moment where it's like, I don't really care as much as I probably would if I was in high school or college. But it's still cool to be able to share memories like that with family.
1: So – I want to talk about the other draft that happened that I preluded to earlier, but um, well, it had to be a wild day for you. Probably quite a few phone calls, I would assume. Um, And maybe a little bittersweet too, that you did leave, you know, your home, your hometown team essentially, but take us through, um, I guess how, I guess the rule five and just the craziness that happened after.
0: Yeah. So I guess it'll, it'll all start the day that I didn't get, uh, added to the 40 man and that was a little bit of a sad day as well it was something that I wouldn't say that I ex- I expected but it was something that I really wanted to happen and I, and it was like I think I speak for most every player it getting getting to make your debut with the team that drafted you is something that I think a lot of t- uh, players aspire to do because it's like you start off at the very bottom, you work your way up, and then it's like, a, it's almost like a riot where it's like, hey, man, like here it is, you're homegrown, it's all come to fruition, and it's like, now we go. And then the other part of it, and like, yeah, like you said, bittersweet is a, a very good way to describe it because I'm now having to, whenever, whenever it, I didn't get added, I'm starting to think about all of the scenarios where it's like, oh my gosh, like I could be playing for another team in another city and knowing that if i do get selected it has to be in the big league rule 5 so it's like a very good moment for my career and for in that at that time i'm like obviously ecstatic but on the flip side i'm having to now you know say or if it, and i'm thinking in my head i'm like if i do get selected i'm having to tell all of these guys that i grew up you know the last 5 years with and really like became a man with these guys experienced the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows with Um, like I'm having to tell them goodbye and, you know, hoping it's not the last time that we'll, you know, share a field together, but knowing in reality it, it probably is. And so that was something that was really hard at first where it was like, you know, I'm talking to my family and I'm like, you know, part of me is like, oh, like I really, really want to get selected and I want to go to another team because it's exciting. And then the other part of me is like, But if I do stay, it wouldn't be the worst thing because I still felt like I was in a really good spot with the Rangers. And they made it really evident to me after I didn't get selected. They were like, look, it's a business. And I'm like, you don't have to explain anything to me. I I understand it's a business and you're doing what what you feel like is, is best for the organization. I can't hold any ill will against you guys. It just is something where it's like, I would have loved to have done it here. And so then obviously we get leading up to it. It's, it's kind of a crazy thing where it's like, it's not like the actual MLB draft at all. You don't hear anything. You're not talking to teams, scouts. You're not, there's nothing. You're just, you're left in the dark. And it wasn't until about two days before the draft, I start getting, I had deleted uh, Twitter, Instagram. I was like, I don't want to see anything. I'm, I was getting, some people were tweeting very nice things about me. Some people were tweeting very mean things about me. And I was like, I, I don't need to hear this for better or for worse. And so I wasn't thinking about it at all, but I would have teammates and friends who would see stuff that was written about me and they would screenshot it and send it over. And I think when it really got surreal was, I think it was like baseball America had made a post and it listed me as like one of the top guys going into the rule five. And that was kind of like, when I saw that, I was like, now this feels real because it's like, okay, we're starting. Obviously there's people that notice who I am and, and so at that point, it started getting to where it was like, all right, like I'm most likely going to be leaving. And so then going to the to uh, the day of the Rule 5, it was still like the same thing. Like, it's like, man, you, you, you know that you're going, but you don't know where it's going to be. And so at th- by that point, like on the day of the Rule 5, I pretty much knew that I was going to be leaving Texas. I just didn't know if it was going to be the first pick to the A's. I didn't know if it was going to be at the very end of it. I and, it, and I knew that it could, it was going to fall anywhere in between. And so it all, I guess like where I'm sitting here and I'm listening to it with my dad on the TV and it was just kind of like, pick one goes by, pick two goes by. And I'm sitting there and my name hadn't been called yet. And I was kind of like, I kind of had an idea of like what, again, like what teams would probably be wanting to take a chance on like a, on a, on a minor league relief pitcher. And then whenever the, the Mets came up and they, it was like one of those things where it was like the Mets go to pick. And I kind of like sat back in the chair and I was like, okay. And then they said my name and I was like, I like looked up at the TV and I looked up at my dad and we we're just like, whoa oh, okay. Like we didn't expect that one at all. And so it was like very like, okay. Th- that was a shocker and obviously very exciting. I immediately got a phone call from uh from the field director, pitching coordinator, uh, with the Rangers, they, had, they called me and were like, we wish you nothing but the best. Like, thank you for everything that you've done, you know, the past couple of years told them, thank you as well, you know, wish each other well. And, and that was that. And, uh, so I'm sitting there I'm like, man, set in stone at this point in time, my mom who was off at work, she's calling me, my friends from the Rangers are calling me and it had been about three, four minutes go by I'm on the phone with one of my friends and I'm like, okay, hold on. I'm getting a phone call from a New York number. I got to take this. So I answer the phone and in about 35 seconds, the conversation goes, hello, is this Justin? I say, yes. He says, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing really well. Obviously this is a very exciting time for me. He was like, you know, that's good. You know, I'm happy to hear that. He was like, so look, um, I'm going to try and keep this pretty brief with you. I'm sorry. I know it's going to be a fast turnaround, but we're actually trading you to Boston. And I was like, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm standing out on the back porch on the phone. And I was just like, okay. okay. And he was like, yeah, so for all intensive purposes, it's pretty much just like Boston picked you in the rule five draft. You know, nothing changes about it, but that's it. And I was like, okay, thank you. And he was like, yep, have a good day. And then he 30 seconds, 35 seconds max. And so I walked back inside my dad had gone into into his room at the time, so I'm like, Dad, he's like, yeah. I walk around the corner, I get to his door, and he, like, posts his head out of the bathroom. I was like, you're not going to believe this. And he was just like, what happened? And I was like, they just traded me to Boston. And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah. And we kind of looked at each other, and, and it was, like, a pretty funny moment where we looked at each other, and he was like, I think I like that a lot better. And I was like, I think I do too. And it was, like, a <laughs> area where it was, like – I guess the, the thought of like growing up in the time that I grew up in, it's like Boston sports, like alluding to what I, you know, had talked about earlier. And so it was like, it's not anything against New York per se, but it was, it had everything to do with, it's like Boston, like this is pretty cool. Like a team, like they're they're the ones that, you know, they wanted me in the draft. They kind of, I guess, thought that I wasn't going to make it for them or to them. I don't know if they had, had something worked out before that or if it was simply like the Mets took me and they were like, we want him. And so they made the trade. But either way, it was like here they are, like, you know, they're making a trade for me on on a day like this. And it was just kind of to me, like it was super exciting. I I was like very, very much on like a high horse for the rest of the day where I was like boston, man. Like this, this is gonna
2: be really fun. And so I was super excited after that. So who uh, who from Boston reached out to you, and what did what did they say when they called? Uh, it was
0: uh, Breslow reached out to me. He called me and was just like, "Hey man, like I'm Craig Breslow. I just want to like welcome you to the organization." And again, it was a super brief phone call. It was just like a welcome. Uh, I know it's probably a crazy time for you, but over the next couple of days, like we'll have some people kind of reach out to you. We'll let you you know take some time. We don't want to overload you with anything, but we'll let you take your time. And, and that was that. You know, we probably talked on the phone for a few minutes and then after that started getting some phone calls from a couple other people, but they honestly made it like a really like smooth for me. They didn't try and bombard me with like 30 people calling and texting me in one day they spread it out over five or six days. I had people like calling and talking and it was like, it was awesome. I mean, I couldn't, you know, it's, it's a very hard feeling to describe when that goes down, but it was just, from the, from the moment that I found out I was going to Boston up until even now, it still, it just feels almost surreal.
1: Now I'm sure you've had a chance to, um, chat with Andrew Bailey. Um, Mm -hmm. what have been your takeaways? I know it's been very early on since you guys have gotten the chat, but I, what are your early takeaways from him? My initial takeaway from him is that he's someone who,
0: uh, is very, very passionate about about what he does, and, and I think he has a ton of faith in, in what uh, I can bring to this organization. And so he was someone who reached out to me pretty quickly, told me, he was like, look, man, we, we've we've got a plan for you. We uh, fortunately, like he, or not he, fortunately, the Red Sox have had uh, a Rule 5 relief pitcher come in in Garrett Whitlock, and, and he's been a, a, a great success. And so they felt very, very confident that they knew the right steps to take and kind of how to go about it. And uh, was, was very, very quick to reassure me that they were going to put me in the best possible spot going into spring training and, and just make it to where it's like, Hey, like we're going to give you every opportunity to, to kind of work in and see what it's about. Obviously it's a very hard jump having to go from triple a with one team, then get traded per se to another team and then also if you do like if you do stay with the team it's going to be in the big league so it's it's a lot of moving around and a lot of new scenarios being thrown at you and 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 not only him but the entire rest of the pitching department has felt the same way i mean they they've had my back 100 percent through this entire process they've displayed you know a great amount of confidence in me and and it's something that it feels really really good because it's like hey I know I'm in a very unique situation but if they feel confident I feel really confident and so it's it's been a really good process so far like getting to talk to all of those guys starting to dive into some of their philosophies and and stuff that they think can can help me you know make this jump and make it seem pretty seamless and 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 so it's been it's been a really good uh really good time with them so far.
2: So this, this is going back a little bit. Um, but I saw on your Instagram page, there was a really nice tribute to your dad as like the first mm-hmm. post on it. And I was just wondering, uh, what your relationship with your dad has been like and how he's, uh, cause you were talking a little bit about it before, but yeah. how he was, was he a ball player? He, uh,
0: he was, he played baseball growing up basketball. Um, but he didn't play, like, past high school. His – I think – and he'd be the first one to say that his greatest accomplishment was winning his uh, college's uh, ping pong tournament in, like, the <laughs> red ball back when – That's an accomplishment? Era. Yeah, when he was at Sam Houston State. And so, um, no, I mean, he's a, I – I can't even begin to describe it's It's uh, the relationship that I've had with him. He is – he has pushed me harder than anyone – in, in in this entire world has been harder on me at times than anybody ever has but has also been the first person to to pick me up when I've needed it and in my lowest points honestly to not let me feel bad for myself when things were going really really bad for me in 2022 I remember having a phone call with him and or a text message with him after a really bad outing and I was feeling pretty down on myself and you know I'm talking to him and I'm like man I just can't catch a break right now and he was just it was like very simple and he was just like well he's like you got to go back and you got to do it again tomorrow and you got to figure it out and it was just like he's right like he's not going to allow me to to feel bad for myself but he does like and on his side it is like man I feel bad when I wish I could help him but he's not going to allow me to kind of get into that state and I think There were times when I was a kid where, to be honest with you, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a football player, and I could care less about baseball at the time. I was just better at football at the time, and uh, I wasn't really a pitcher yet. I didn't start pitching until I was like 11, 12 years old really was the first year, and so I just didn't care for baseball that much, and there were times where – like the work ethic probably wasn't there because it's like, I just wanted to play football. I didn't really care to do travel baseball and all that stuff. For me, it was just like, I loved being around my friends. And there were times where like other family members, I guess, would be like, Hey, you know, like maybe it's just like, maybe we just, you know, put the baseball stuff down. And he was like, I I really, I really think he's got it. He just doesn't know it yet. And uh, he, he kept me in it and, and just pushed me and pushed me and pushed me until I, until I, finally realized it for myself when I was old enough. I was like, I really actually do kind of have something going here. And, and he's been, he's been my side through, through every bit of it, um, watches every single game. He stays up late. You know, he'll be the first one to text me after my bet. my best outings. The first one to text me after my worst outings, him and my granddad, him and my granddad are, are very quick. They will not, uh, they're not going to let me uh, get by with with the bad ones, there's no let him sleep on it and get back to him for the most part. It's like, hey, like what's going on or, or whatever. But, I mean, I couldn't be more thankful that that he was the way he was on me growing up because truthfully, I believe like if he didn't, you know, push me in the ways that he did when I was a kid that I honestly wouldn't be, you know, sitting where I am today.
2: And was your grandfather at a lot of the games also? He, uh when
0: I was a kid, yes. They live... uh you know, a little bit of ways away from us, still in Texas, but a couple hours away.
2: It's a big state. It's not like here where you drive two hours and you're across yeah. the border.
0: Yeah, no, they actually live relatively close, I would say, for this state. But um, yeah, when I was a kid, they were at a lot of the games, and then even when I was in high school, you know, the most important games, like the playoff games, all of that stuff, they would be at. And then even when I went to college, twelve hours away at the University of New Mexico, they made it a point to like drive. They would road trip out there twice a year and come and spend. They would try and come whenever we had like a a home midweeks and then a home series on the weekend, and they would stay for about like a week at a time. And, uh, I I mean, yeah, I mean, they're just – they were always there. They've always been, you know, big support systems. My granddad, he watches every game no matter if I pitch or not. Even when I would go back to like my starter days, like some of my family, they were like, well, we'll just watch whenever you pitch. My granddad and my grandma will sit in their living room and watch all 140-something games that we play in a minor season, and that he will be the first one to text me whenever something happens on the field. It is like, what's going on with so and so? Oh, this guy—he's having a really good go at it right now. It's like, well, what you know, what what's going on here? I mean, and he wants to know everything. It's like, I I think that uh, he at times is more excited about the season than I am. There will be days where it's the middle of July, it's 110 degrees, and I'm like. the game ends and I want to get in my car and I want to just drive home and get in bed. And he's just texting me like, what happened tonight? And I'm like, I don't know. I will call you tomorrow. We are not talking about this tonight. And even going back, he has kept a, uh, he has kept a spreadsheet of every outing that I've made going back to to high school. He could tell you exactly what I've done. It's just to him, baseball is his, like, that's that's his thing. That is his escape. He has a game on uh, his computer. He plays that out of the park baseball game. Oh
2: gosh, feel you know, I'm I'm very familiar with out of the park. I uh, I feel like your grandfather and my dad might be the same person. <laughs> I'm telling you right now.
0: He's st- he he had played it before, but when COVID had hit he got into it and he was logging hours on this game. And so now it's like, I go over to his house and he's like, look what I've done now. And he's got like all of these mods downloaded and he will sit there. That's like to us, that's my favorite time in the off season. It's like that two, three week period where it's like, we're not throwing, we're not lifting. Give your body a break. I always go and spend a week with them at their house. And it's like, I'll be in you know I'll be in the living room talking with my grandmother watching you know sports or whatever and he's sitting he's got a he's got a table set up in his living room dual monitors and he's going back and forth and he will play that game for hours and he he's got it to where like he has every player probably ever that's ever played downloaded he's got all of these crazy stadiums and he'll just build these teams it's like he'll try and build like the best home run hitting lineup of all time, but put them in the dead ball era and see what they do and just run like a 162 game simulation. It's insane. That, that is, that is his pride and joy. Now does he have you on any of his teams? Absolutely. He actually, when I was getting, when I was about to get ready to go into the draft, I'll never forget him. uh, We were talking on the phone and he was like, well, I I ran about six or seven simulations just to see where you were falling in the draft. And it looks like you're gonna go to the Blue Jays in the fourth round. And I was like, Pablo, come on now. Like this is not that's not real life. But I mean, yeah, he, he would. He would uh he would tinker with it too. He'd put me in there and, and, and try and like see what I could do or you know, he even I mean he's he's done it all. I can't even begin to go back into some of the the, the scenarios that he's created on that game, but it is like that is that is his deal.
1: I didn't know anything about it, so that's uh, this is all new. Out of park baseball is all new to me. So yeah, that's
0: uh, it's as realistic to to running a, a franchise as you can get. I mean, they have quite literally everything. Like interesting. I, I mean, it, yeah. it is, and how in depth that game is.
2: Yeah. So, I grew up playing something similar. It was like a tabletop yeah. simulator that my dad uh, and I still to this day uh, are, yeah. are very into, but that's what, that's what got me into baseball. It wasn't even yeah. so much of the game. It was just that I was, I was playing it with my dad, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, anyway.
1: Well, no. I was, I was about to switch lanes here. I, I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't too uh, familiar with that. I got to look that up now. I, so I got to look into that, but uh, I feel like it might put, MLB the show out of business there because uh franchise mode on there has always had my heart since I was like 10 so yeah um, it's different, different. It yeah. is it um, is I wanted to kind of switch lanes so you are coming off the best season of your career um hmm. in professional ball in 2023 what what cl- like just what was different last year compared to like 21 and 22 like what clicked for you so there was a there's a
0: couple of things that that kind of I feel like went into it. Um, when I when I went into the 2021 season, I felt like we weren't that far off. I was pitching really like in a vacuum. wasn't pitching bad at, at times. I would say that I had some like pretty unfortunate breaks. Like I I had one game that comes to mind. I'm through like five innings, ten strikeouts, no no runs, throwing really well. And then it's like we go out for there for the sixth inning and it's like infield single, infield single, three-run home run. And it's like, well, there goes like a great outing. Not that that's not like still a good outing, but it was like there goes that. And I would just have some pretty like kind of unfortunate games where just stuff like the ball just wasn't falling my way. And that was something like I was able to, to, to sleep at night knowing that obviously it sucks whenever you feel like you just kind of can't catch a break. But for the most part, I felt like, I still I was throwing the ball pretty well, um, and then you go into to twenty twenty two. So kind of what went into that was I started off the year as a starter, and I started off throwing pretty well, um, but there was something like the Rangers were really wanting me to work on two things. One of them was throwing a a, a harder slider that they felt like if i could get my slider kind of like in the upper 80s even like touching like 90 ish that it was gonna help it play a lot better and so that was like one thing and then the other thing was like the development of like a third and fourth pitch pretty much like i'd messed around with the curveball a little bit and messed around with the changeup a little bit there were pitches i could throw in there but i wasn't necessarily consistent with it and so really what it was, was like, we were trying to work on a new slider and I just couldn't figure it out. Everything that I tried, it wasn't working. I couldn't throw it for a strike or I'd feel like it was really good. And we look at the the track, man, and they're like, that sucks. And so it was <laughs> a whole lot of just plug and play. And uh, I think that really got into my head because for weeks and weeks and weeks i'm trying to work on something that they feel like is going to help make me better and i can't figure it out i can't get it to click i can't get the feeling of it down and then when i do i can't be consistent with it and so then uh i get moved to the bullpen and that was something that also kind of hit me where i was like hmm like all right like this sucks like i'm I haven't been throwing bad. For a while there, I was throwing the best on the team. Well, really like a month into the season, I had like probably some of the better numbers out of all the pitchers on the team. And so then I get moved to the bullpen and that was something where I had to like really figure out how to make that adjustment because for the past five years of my, or four years of my life, I had been a starter. And so then it's like middle of the season, we're going to make this switch. And so for me, it was all about like finding the best way to go about that. And so it was like, while I'm one trying to figure out a new pitch, I'm now taking on a new role and things are just kind of changing up a lot. And so then I kind of, by way of trying to throw this new pitch, I had really gotten myself mechanically messed up and I had gotten to a point where I couldn't throw a fastball for a strike. And so it felt like to me, I was like, this is as lost as I had ever been on a, on a baseball field Uh, I can't can't throw an off-speed pitch for a strike. I can't even throw a fastball for a strike. And then you add on on top of it, when I do throw the off-speed for a strike, to righties it was doing okay. To lefties it was getting absolutely hammered. So I was getting crushed by lefties. And then it's like you mix in where it's like I'm getting to 2-1, 3-1, 2-0 to every batter that I face. It was just a recipe for disaster. And so it went from being like, Gosh, like I'm behind. Now I'm I'm trying to nibble because I don't want to get crushed. I'm walking people. And mentally I was just all in uh, just the wrong place. And uh, I ended up finally towards the end of the year, one of my teammates in Frisco and one of my best friends, uh, Jack Lider, he goes and plays in the Futures game. And he comes back from the Futures game, and I'm still in the midst of like they're really trying to get me to find this hard slider. And he comes up to me and he was like, we're we were catch partners and he was like, so I was talking to Taj Bradley. This is how he throws his cutter. Why don't you just like try this grip? And in catch play, it like immediately clicked. I was like, oh, that's that's nice. And so I kind of figured that out. And it was, it was, it took a couple of weeks to get it to transition to the mound because throwing it in catch play and then getting the feel for it on the mound are a little bit more, especially with the quite frankly, like a little bit of a different grip. I'm trying to have to feel something different. And, uh, I figured it out like the last two weeks of the season, I actually finished the season in 2022 throwing really, really well. I wasn't walking guys. I was throwing harder. I'd figured out this new pitch. And so I, I went into the off season on a really, really high note. And I felt really confident about what, what I was able to do to finish the season and so going into the offseason, I knew it was no longer – I'm now no longer having to worry about making a mechanical change. I'm now more just focused on developing this pitch. So for the first time in three years, two years, I was able to go into the offseason not having to worry about, okay, i got to make sure I'm on time and i am got to change my arm path here. I can just focus on, like, playing catch and finding stuff that works for me. And so I went into uh, to spring training after, you know, working on this cutter this whole time and i always knew that the slider i had been throwing was still really good it was still getting out and i honestly didn't understand why they even wanted me to change that because i had been having success so it was just like a lot mentally i guess for me trying to comprehend and you want to believe that like when a coach is telling you something you want to believe that it is for your benefit and so what really what it was for me is, like, having to have the maturity of being able to think, like, I, I respect what you're saying, and, I, and I, I thank you for, like, bringing this to my attention, but truthfully, I don't think that's what's best for me, and here is why. And being able to have those conversations with your coaches was, like, a step that I had to make. And so I go into spring training. I have now felt, I feel really confident about this new pitch. I feel really confident about the headspace I'm in. It's, I'm, I know it's like my full year going into being a reliever. I'm going to build off of how I ended the season last year. I go in my first inning of spring training. I'm throwing this. It's now my my cutter. And uh, I'm throwing it. And I, I have a really good first live VP. I come off the field and I'm doing arm care. And the guy who's the double-A pitching coach, he comes up to me and he was like, I'm going to be honest with you, man. He was like, that might be – uh, one of the top pitches in the org now. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, that thing is really good. And so kind of getting that validation was like, okay, like we're, we figured something out. And so I had a a really good spring and I went into the season and I just kind of continue riding that high that I had been off of. And two, it's easy whenever you've now seen success, a little bit of it which is something that I hadn't seen in the past two years. It was very up and down for me. And it was like, when I would have my best game, I would follow it up and get punched in the mouth. And to now I'm, I've now, I'm now seeing a little bit of sustained success to start the season. It was very easy to then figure out. It's like, you know what, this is the mindset that I should have had the entire time. And so I, I would say that it was a combination of finding the cutter and finding a new pitch that was really going to elevate my game to bridge my fastball and my slider to now have a new, a new thing to kind of offer it people. And then just having the mindset of it's like, I've gotten these guys out before. And every time that I go out there on, on the field, like not, not just telling myself like, Hey, you're the best, you got this, but actually like really believing it. And I feel like that's where my game took the next step was just knowing like, If I just go out there and execute exactly what I know I can do, that's all it takes. I don't have to go out there and be a superhero. I just have to go out there and pitch. And really, like, when I finally figured that out at 26 years old, that was to me is, like, what it was. And so I look back on, like, 21 and 22, and even though they were egregious numbers, like, I'm super, super thankful that I suffered – What hopefully will be the worst baseball of my entire life as early as I did, because it taught me so much about the game and about myself and just how to like manage when you are going through the lows, like what not to do, what not to think about. And as prevalent as like the mental aspect is nowadays, like being able to take those licks and then still find your way out of it and to be in the situation that I am today, I I feel
2: like has given me all the confidence in the world. Yeah. It sounds like it was just as much the physical aspect as the mental mm-hmm. aspect of it. Yeah. Have you reached out to Taj Bradley at all? and been like, Hey, I'm using, using your grip, man. Not,
0: but if I do ever run into him, I'll shake his hand and I'll tell him. Well, I,
1: uh I, I'm, I have some rapid fire questions I want to get okay. into. I like doing it towards the end of the show, but I did have, my second hardest question I'm going to ask you before I okay. dive into those. My, my, the hardest question I ask you is fast food related, uh, a little bit. But so, it is a hard
2: question. It is okay. a hard
1: question. Um, but I want to, before I get into the rapid fire stuff, this one, I don't, it's not a hard question, but, um, I, I just, I've, I've always liked to know because I, I got to chat with a guy who's in the Red Sox system this past year. He was in Worcester. He was a, uh, rule five minor league draft pick. So not, not in the same position as you, but, he still he I sat down with him quite a few times it's Joe Jakes he's a reliever in the system he's great guy but um he was telling me that there was a sense of pressure when he first got to the organization because he wanted to show that he belonged and that you know they picked me for a reason type thing is there any sort of pressure on you just knowing that like you know you you have to stick and just like you gotta like give it your best no to be quite honest with you I think that uh
0: yes, there is pressure, obviously, but the pressure for me, I feel like it's it's exciting um, because I know the situation that I'm put in. And in a way, it just feels like I have nothing to lose. Like, it, to, to me, it's a win-win. Like, if I go out there and I perform in spring training, I'm going to make a big league roster. And if I don't, it's not going to be the end of the world because I've seen failures already and I know how to get over it. And so I, I would say, like, for me, like, yes, it is a little bit different, obviously, because it wasn't the minor league rule five. And it's not like they can just keep me in the minor leagues, you know, for a year or whatnot, that there is an expectation to succeed. But at the end of the day, it just goes back to like the mental aspect of it. And truthfully, like, I'm not a very like cocky person, but I do believe the Red Sox picked me for a reason. And it's because they believe that I can compete at the major league level. And so for me, it's not like a pressure that I have to perform. It's excitement that I get to perform and I feel like I get to go out there and prove them right. I don't want to I don't want to like prove other teams wrong. I want to prove the Red Sox right and I want to I don't want to make it to where, like, as questionable of a call as it could have been, you know, to some people and I don't really know how certain people feel about it but to me it's just like it's a super exciting time because it's like I'm getting to go out there and I'm getting been given an incredible opportunity to come and play for an incredible organization and so I feel like to me it's like I can't wait to get out training and, and start performing because I know that like I said earlier all I have to go out there and do is just pitch like I know I can pitch I don't have to try and be even better than I was last year, because like, truthfully, like if I'm just as good as I was last year, that's good enough for them because they picked, they picked me to be in this role. And so I just kind of have that mindset of like, for me, there's nothing to lose. I'm going to go out there, compete for a spot. I'm going to give it my best. And at the end of the day, like I'll be able to to sleep at night, no matter what happens, because I know that I'm, you know, the work that I'm putting in, in the off season and, and what I had to do. I'll, I'll be able to live with it because it's, I'm going to give it my best shot. And so that's just kind of how I'm thinking about it right now.
1: I feel like that's the only way to look at it. I feel like that's an incredible answer. So that, that's nutty, uh, baby, yeah. Mm. Um, all right. We're going to get in some rapid fire. I got five questions for you. They're, okay. uh, off the wall. Very random. Um, okay. first question, what is a guilty pleasure of Justin Slayton?
0: Honestly, um, one of them would have to be like Megan The Stallion and like Cardi B. Like right before I'm going into a workout, my guilty pleasure would just be like very own. just to kind of get the rhythm down, try and get my body going a little bit. So like I would never put that on if I was boxing at like a party or something like that. But a little bit of a guilty pleasure is like right before I go to work out, I like to listen to a little Doja Cat, Cardi B, Megan The Stallion, something like that.
1: It's incredible. <laughs> I love that. Um, that was the, that's the first music related one we've gotten, so um, that's that's good. All right. Second question: You were just at Fenway for development mm-hmm. camp. Uh, you were hanging around a another new pitcher in the system um, that has quite the incredible facial hair uh, situation going on. Yeah. So I want to know in your in your opinion, is that is does I Isaiah Campbell have one of the best mustaches you've ever seen in person? I I think I, truthfully, I I didn't I don't think he really put uh,
0: much time into it. Like obviously, like, we're just going into the field. It looked like one of those things. Like he just rolls out of bed, and it's incredible. But uh, there was a point in time where I'm like, if he wants to, if he wants to make this look as good as he can, I mean, get it like a nice curl, all of that good stuff. He absolutely has the capability to do that. I don't think he was trying to show it show it off. Just like. All, all that right then I think he was being like pretty modest about it but yes I, I did I did was able to take a good close look at it and I'm just like, okay look like it's, it's going to take you like five minutes in the morning to do it and I know that he will when the time comes but uh yes it is incredible
1: Okay, I had to ask because I've seen it in photos and I'm like, man, like I saw he, he was he was rocking one in the pictures from Fenway. I'm like, ah, I feel like it might not be in midseason form yet, but it's uh, I feel like it's probably pretty incredible. It's like right. that of the goggles are pretty. Uh, it's just a, it's just a great combination. A look.
0: Great look. It's just, a great look.
1: All right. Third question here. Um, I need. So you went to the University of New Mexico. I uh-huh. feel like um, I feel like. Mm, Nine out of 10 people, maybe even 10 out of 10 people you would ever um, run into in the Northeast have probably never stepped foot in New Mexico. I yeah. haven't. ed have been there. Have. Okay. Ed has. See, nine out of 10 people. All right. Whatever. Albuquerque isotopes, so, baby. That's right. All right. So nine out of 10 people probably never been in New Mexico before. I need you to give me a weird slash fun fact about the University of New Mexico that people don't know.
0: Hmm. That's a good one. A a weird slash fun fact about the university itself. Hmm. I would say I would say um, if I if I could branch out like a little bit away from uh, just the university itself, but go to, to more towards like Albuquerque kind of as a as a whole. Uh, I would say like the most fun fact for me being there is there's a a mountain range called the sandia mountains that run pretty much like right next to the city and i guess for me because like i'm a little bit of a nerd and it is cool but like if you go and look at pictures of it it kind of has like this cherry red um color like when the sun is setting it almost it almost it is like it's like a cherry color and then the mountains itself looks silver And so that's where the University of New Mexico gets their uh, colors of the cherry and silver is from that mountain range when the sun is setting up against the mountain.
1: So that's That's incredible.
0: That's what it. That's what it's for.
1: That was the best fun fact, or like, I mean, because I would have never known that. I would have never Googled that either. So that's that was the best one we've gotten. The
2: sunsets out west are unbelievable.
1: Yeah, they are.
0: It really is beautiful. Like when we're playing like a an evening game there and the sun is setting and you're just in the dugout there are times where you just be looking out there and you'll miss
1: two or three (laughs) pitchers because
0: you're just staring out there i mean it is getting to play there was was awesome all
1: right question number four here um i i I had a question and then it kind of got ruined because i did just look and you've played in spokane washington Mm -hmm. i i I didn't realize the rangers had a minor league affiliate up in uh, the state of washington that's As far away from uh, the big league club, but all right. So my question is you just experienced a little bit of cold, actually very cold when you were out (laughs) in Springfield at Fenway. Um, Just know opening day at Fenway park will be pretty chilly. It always is. So what is a thing that you're going to have to adjust to, to play in the cold that you're going to have in Boston in April? Listen, I'm not going to have to adjust to the cold
0: one bit. I, one, I actually really like the cold and two, it absolutely cannot get much worse than a February game in Albuquerque when it is (laughs) 30 degrees with about 70 mile an hour winds. And it's like a piercing wind too. Like it's, it's the type of wind that cuts through your entire body. I mean, I remember there would be days walking to class in the morning and it's like 15 degrees. 60 mile an hour winds. I've got on like two hoodies and a big jacket and gloves and sweatpants. And I'm still I'm not I'm not proud of it, but there were mornings where I would get out of my house and I'd get about a hundred yards and I'm like, I'm not going to class today. I simply cannot walk in this. It is a twenty minute walk. I'm not gonna make it. So I did have to pitch in some pretty extreme conditions at New Mexico. I think that uh I, I, I honestly truthfully I am be, even being from Texas, I honestly really like the cold i'm I would say I'm more of a cold weather person. I feel like I can handle pitching in cold weather much more than I like being out there in the middle of July in Frisco when it's 108 degrees and it's like suffocating hot so I honestly am kind of looking forward to being able in a little bit cool,
1: cooler weather. I didn't know it got that cold in New Mexico. I had no idea
0: yeah okay the, like february early th- or you know middle february when the season starts early march it is absolutely freezing there
1: the more you know man i grew up in the midwest so it was like yeah. you know it was, it was cold but like I, I didn't realize it was cold down there that's yeah. the more you know man all right i got one last question see you most important and then we'll we'll let you go so you've given us a ton of time but um all right you're you're a man of the South, so I have a lot of faith in you that you're gonna get this one correct so all right, Justin, you're hungry for some lunch and yep. uh you want fast food today, and specifically you want fried chicken and it's got to have a drive through and every single option is available that you've ever had in your life like every single chicken place is all spread out and you're like, I gotta go to one of these. Where are you going
0: all right um I hope that you're familiar with this answer, but I will stick with this till the day that I die. The best chicken spot that you can go to in the South is Chicken Express.
2: Ooh, the Hunter Dobbins choice. Yes, that's fair.
0: Hands down. When you go in, you can go in there and you get a nice little five tender meal with their mashed potatoes and gravy. And then they have this thing called Serendipity Seasoning. It's like a little bit of like, it's spicy and you... Here's how I like to do it. I'll take the serendipity, dump that in like the mashed potatoes and gravy and kind of mix it up. And then I will take like a little spoonful of the mashed potato and gravy and put that on the, the chicken tender and eat it like that.
1: That's incredible. Yeah,
0: it, it doesn't get much better than that. I truthfully we don't have um I really don't think we have a KFC like where here. I know we have a church's but it's kind of like on the far side of town, so I don't go over there very much. And, but any time that, anytime that I'm going to go for for chicken, I'm going to go to well, one, either Chick-fil-A, or I'm going to go to Chicken Express.
1: I can't knock you for Chicken Express. That's a very Texas thing. We had Hunter Dobbins on who's yeah. in the system, and he was mm-hmm. singing. Actually, his quote, he said, their sweet tea could put a non-diabetic into a diabetic coma.
0: Yes. That, that is something you have to be very careful about. So it's like, <laughs> when, when I go there, I have to get a uh, half and half because, e- and even there, even their half and half is like, you'll, you'll, you'll take a sip of it and you're just like, good Lord. What it? <laughs> if you, if you don't like treat and like really like in the, like when I think of like the South, like some of the best sweet tea that I've ever had, there was a, an old lady that lived down the road for me when I was a kid. And, uh, Shout out Miss Ethel for this. But we would always be outside playing, me and my friends. And she would come out the front door with, uh, like, sometimes like she would have sweet tea. And it was, like, the sweetest. As a kid, it was like, oh, we've been playing out here all day. And then you sip on that. And it's like, you're good for another couple of hours. <laughs> so growing up, like, it's someplace where it's, like, very, very particular, the uh, the tea here. And so, yeah, like Chick- Chicken Express is definitely like someone who is like, oh, if you live like up north, mid- right, midwest, northeast, something like that. It's like, yeah, I want some sweet tea. And you took a, a sip of some Chicken Express sweet tea. You might confuse it for like Jet Engine or Jet. Sorry. It is uh,
1: it is a, a different brand. All right. I mean, the correct answer was Zaxby's to this question, but I'm going to yep. let Chicken Express pass.
2: It's not a a correct answer if only three people have picked it.
1: Fine. (laughs) I've only
0: had Zaxby's like a handful of times, and it was when I played in, in North Carolina. We don't have a Zaxby's where I'm from, actually, so I didn't grow up on it.
1: Fair. I think it's. Uh, I think they got some in Austin and uh, College Station, a few other like yeah. college towns. But I'm I'll-
2: gonna be in Austin in like a month, so I'm gonna have to check it out when I'm there. I've got to try that. I've got to try the Chicken Express while I'm there.
1: Yeah. Chicken Express, definitely. Just be careful on mm-hmm. the sweet tea. Said it's gonna be uh, Jet Fuel. So yeah,
2: <laughs> I like Jet Fuel. That's neat.
1: Well, Justin, we uh, you've given us an hour of your time tonight. We uh, we appreciate it. that. Time flew by, but thank you so much for hopping on with us. Yeah, no, thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure meeting you all.